Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. Looking for a way to build daily prayer discipline? Seen the rise in mindfulness meditation, but not sure if it is possible to meditate in a way that's consistent with your Catholic faith? Just looking for a way to breathe new life into your existing prayer routine? No matter what you're looking for, Hollow is here to help. Hollow is a Catholic prayer and meditation app that helps users deepen their relationship with God through audio-guided contemplative prayer sessions. From meditations on the daily gospel to the rosary to daily examines, Hollow has something for everyone. Hollow is the number one Catholic app in the U.S. It is free to download and has permanently free content, but you can also check out all of the premium sessions for 30 days, risk-free, by signing up at www.hollow.app/breadbox. We are going to show number three on this great book that we found about a month ago that was signaled to us by Father John Ricardo up in Michigan and uh, Father Mike Schmidt as well. It's called From Christendom to Apostolic Mission, and it's published by the University of Mary. From Christendom to Apostolic Mission, Pastoral Strategies for an Apostolic Age, and it's published by the University of Mary. It's pretty cool. I mean, we're kind of trying to plow, to plow through it, but it kind of illustrates the fact that the Christendom mode of living that we may have been born into is on its own last legs, and that really uh, strategies more suitable to an apostolic age are the ones that we need to adopt. All right. The chapter three of the book talks about the current climate. In the last several centuries, we have seen an increasingly bitter contest in the West between two competing ruling visions, the largely Christian vision and the humanistic and materialistic vision that began to emerge at the latter part of the Enlightenment or the 17th century. These visions have been in conflict. It's not to say they don't share anything in common, but it's definitely been something that they have. There, it's been, there's been a lot of confusion, really, to understand kind of where one ends and where the other one begins. They view everything differently. The overall scheme or pattern into which various beliefs or practices are embedded gives a different meaning. Isn't that interesting? As a secular humanist, materialist, you're going to see a different meaning of life than you are as if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ with a transcendent view, right? Right, exactly. And, that you know, that's interesting. He gives the example of World War One, where Europe was basically made out of a set of Christendom cultures. But they were basically fighting for similar things, 
right, to maintain right. similar values. In the century since, so that was 19, what, 50s, 15, well, The war 16, was over 17, in 1918. So in the century since, we have seen that war is essentially over in Europe, but Christendom has been chased from the field. <laughs> That's a good way to put it, right? Yeah, exactly. Europe has a Christendom society. Oh, absolutely. You remember when the European Union was working on its constitution about 20 years ago? Oh, yeah, and they took God out of it. And they want to try, you know, they just want to completely eviscerate all the Christian roots of Christendom, which, I mean, basically Europe, Europe is Europe because of Christendom, right? Right. But... Um, by contrast, America, until very recently, has been a kind of Christendom culture. You know, that's true, because I remember when I first moved to the States from Italy, I was shy how um, certain Christian values were still held within the society, you know? Have you grown up in Italy? Morality in yeah. Well, you know, in Italy, morality has gone by the boards. I don't think it exists anymore, really. And at least here in the United States, there was some attempt to hold on to something, you know, right. to hold on to some kind of moral view, right? Right. Um, and in some places, I hate to say it, but like in the places that are less urban, perhaps uh, in the, you know, the flyover states, perhaps uh, a moral Christian value has has stayed. But for the most part, the American cultural vision that was friendly to Christianity is fading. All right. And I think we know that. I don't think anybody's saying we're saying anything that anybody's not going to recognize that is actually happening. Right. So we're right. not, we're not. And you know what, Mary Lou, we're not talking about all this to say, Oh, the good old days. We wish we were back in the good old days. Those were the days in which blah, 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 because actually those were the days in which it was a much easier to be lukewarm. And it was much easier to be, um, complacent a cafeteria and right you're, you're exactly right about that but we didn't know any better though to be hypocritical those were the days so really this is going to be more difficult but it's actually better i think to be an apostolic time because heroic holiness is just ripped out of you it's called you have to do it right that's right because that's exactly it's right a big you know in the space of one generation the bottom of the christendom culture has fallen out Almost overnight, these societies went from being strongly Catholic to aggressively secular. And I think we can experience that in our lifetime, right? Absolutely. That's happened. One reason for the rapid collapse was that the overarching vision of the society had been changing over a course of time. But it wasn't really, you know, you and I have been fighting that battle in parish life anyway for a long time, whereby you know that what we did before isn't working anymore, but we keep fighting against the system that wants to keep doing what we did before because before it worked, even though now it's not working. And in, in hindsight, they didn't realize it wasn't working and didn't have another plan. That's you right. Know, they didn't, the apostolic part of it didn't come into play, which is so sad. Yeah, right. The churches were led under an attitude of business as usual. Yeah. Right. At a certain point, the eroding Christian vision could no longer bear the weight of the culture. The house collapsed. So isn't that interesting? And I think we've all seen that, right? The institutional ecclesiastical strategies that are suited to Christendom do not work well in an apostolic setting, right? Mm -hmm. You can't hit people up for money at, in, at mass for the boiler when people don't even know about the real presence of Christ. I know. You know, when people are there just to, to check a box, you know? Um, 
So anyway, during a time when there is a rapid change away from Christendom vision, a time like our own, for instance, the church needs to think about the spirit and operation of all her institutions in a different way, which is kind of the cry that we've been trying to to sound in the desert here uh, for a long time, that, that, that just because we did it before doesn't mean that it's going to keep working. You know what it reminds me of is that the, those stickers and things you used to see that uh, in cars or whatever that, you know, Jesus is, is my co-pilot or right. you know, in the passenger seat. Yeah. Looks where he needs to be is in the driver's seat. And I think that's where we are now that we have had him over in another seat and we've been driving the car. He needs to drive the car. We need to be in the passenger seat. Or even in the back seat. <laughs> yeah. I'm, good, I'm good with that, you know? I think yeah. he'll do a, a much better job, really. So there's a, there's a rapid change. So under a different set of cultural condition, conditions, a similar changing of the culture's ruling narrative vision can be seen at work in Latin America, you know, the global south. This region has been, been made up of a set of Christian societies but for the past hundred years or so, it's been under serious attack, right? Older right. institutional and cultural formulations developed during those Christendom years are not working well. And the same thing, so Latin Americans, a lot of Latin Americans still identify as Christians, but they identify as what? Pentecostal Christians, charismatic mm-hmm. Christians. If they're Catholics, most of the time they're charismatic Catholic. Why? Because this is an, they understand this is an apostolic time and you need to bear, to bring to bear the power of the Holy Spirit uh, as expressed through the gifts, right? right. Uh, in, the, in an empowered laity who actually is awake to its vocation of, of mission. So there's an example there from, from the global South. Um, the, the more the Latin American Catholics embrace apostolicity, which is why movements like uh, the Charismatic Renewal and Opus Dei and, and stuff like that have had such uh, success in Latin America because they are the better, the mission posture is therefore better suited to address the current Latin situation, right? Here right. in the United States, we can see this principle working itself out in the family, in the schools, in charity organizations, parishes, and chanceries. Older patterns and institutional strategies that work well in their time no longer catch the ear of the culture or maintain their hold on members of the faith. Yeah, right? The children Isn't of Catholic after parents, confirmation that they walk out the door. Oh, the children of Catholic parents often leave the faith. You know, that famous joke that people say, you know, I went to Catholic school all my life. I went to Catholic college and now I'm no longer Catholic. <laughs> you right. know? It's like a badge of honor to them. (laughs) They educated it right out of me, right? Um, Catholic schools and universities do not graduate serious Catholic believers. I'd say that's an understatement. No kidding. Parishes do not produce vocations to the priesthood and religious orders for shrivel. For those with a Christendom orientation, the news of our time has been a long tale of decline and loss. Isn't that sad? Numbers are down. Institutions are secularized. Loss of cultural cloud, right? right? All this can produce an atmosphere of discouragement and defeatism, which we've seen, and and therefore witness people taking a right or a left turn into more sort of sectarian expressions of what it means to be faithful, right? Right. Wherever apostolic zeal and apostolic strategies are in operation, the results are impressive. One sees conversions to the faith, especially among the new. I mean, the young, obviously. We've seen that before. New movements and religious communities are being born or rediscovering their vitality. I mean, look at the Nashville Dominicans, 
please. Oh my gosh, yes. They had to, they had to build. I think they had to build another building. Because all the, the novices and the people who are interested who want to become Nashville, faithful Nashville Dominicans. People right? are hungry for that. And the Ann Arbor Dominicans, same thing. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, look at those. Those are it's an example of an older congregation which has renewed itself. But then you have other places like new religious orders, which are also on fire. Right? right. So it's pretty, it's pretty impressive. The deepening of life of prayer and communal witness is being expressed through these communities, and it's very attractive, right? So what we face is not a culture so corrupt that it's immune to the gospel. It's uh, it's basically a population for whom Catholicism has basically lost its attractiveness in the present shape. Our problem is that much of the church is still in a Christendom mode, either seriously compromised by the ruling vision of the wider culture or using outmoded strategies that were devised for a different context. And so it it. is unable to cope with the current culture. Isn't that amazingly put, right? Doesn't it express it all that, you know, we keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result when in fact outmoded strategies are just that, right? Outmoded strategies. And yet the, the, the underarching vision of the apostolic uh, church of the apostolic view is that of the prophet Elisha, right? Second book of Kings six twenty three, mm-hmm. where Elisha's servant is really nervous because they're being surrounded by the, uh, hundreds of thousands of the chariots of the Assyrians and they were all going to die and it's awful. And Elisha prays that the Lord will enlighten the eyes of his servant. And all of a sudden he says, Elisha says to his servant, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. This made no sense. So Elisha prayed that the servant's eyes would be open. And he saw an army of heavenly horsemen and chariots around Elisha, more than equal to the task of handling the enemy's horses. Wouldn't it be good for us to have that view, to really have that view all time, right? To know that there's more of us than there are of them, right? You know, to see through the eyes of faith. And more and greater is he that is within me than he who is in the world. Just and it doesn't depend on us. It depends on God. So give it to him. He'll take care of it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So this is, you know, this isn't just a little fable that we see in the scriptures. This is a truth of great practical importance. The church will regularly appear to be the underdog where an assessment of her fortunes looks only at the visible world because numbers are down, churches are closing, right? Right. Uh, buildings are cro- When the church is seen truly as a divine society, transcending space and time, filled with the presence and strength of God, resplendent with the power and beauty of angels and saints, bringing all the authority of heaven to bear on the world's affairs, the pictures looks very different. In an apostolic age, especially one now emerging from the ruins of Christendom, needs to be clear about the sources of the church's strength in the battles that she faces. Which means what? We have to keep relying upon the Holy Spirit. We have to keep relying upon the Lord. We need to have a personal relationship with the Lord. We need to have daily time for prayer. We need, you know, we need, we need, we need. But that's actually true because that's the only way that we are going to to not only survive, but fruitfully live what li- what remains of our lives as disciples, as missionaries. That's why mission is such a is such an imperative. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. You know. 
it's um we we can't just be standby um passengers on a flight you know we need to get on the plane and we need to get to the mission we can't just stand still in times like this it's it's, souls are being lost we we can't stand by and and allow that to happen we have to allow god to use us in whatever way he desires amen let me read the sentence again. I think it's so beautiful. So the church cannot be relying on the on the old indicators of success, you know, numbers, people coming to mass, mass attendance, you know, that famous parameter. We have a friend who, who really is into the mass attendance parameter. That's an old parameter. That's not going to work in a new society. Basically, instead of seeing mass attendance and or the, the, the deterioration of buildings, we need to see the church as a divine society, transcending space and time, filled with the presence and strength of God, resplendent with the power and beauty of angels and saints, bringing all the authority of heaven to bear on the world's affairs. Then we will have hope. Amen. Then we will have power, right? We need to be clear about the sources of power. Right. So we need right. to gain an apostolic attitude. I think that's kind of what Paul the Sixth and John Paul the Second were all about. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, this is the quintessential apostolic situation. There's really nowhere about it. So this is uh, our agenda is to bring the gospel of Christ to the world. And we're going to close with this. But I thought this was kind of cute. I used it in one of my talks recently. Well, just think about what an evangelization committee meeting would have looked like with the first apostles when they got together in the upper room, right? Right. And they have no money, no deacons, uh, only 11 priests. They have no buildings, no missions, no institutions, no seminaries, nothing. So our resources, bishops, we only have 11. Priests, we only have 11. Deacons, none. Trained theologians, none. Religious orders, none. Seminarians, none. Seminaries, none. A Christian believers, maybe a couple hundred countries with Christians in them. Only the one that we're in right now. Church <laughs> buildings, none. Schools and universities, none. Written gospels, none. Money, very little. Experience in foreign missions, none. Influential contacts in high places, next to none. A societal attitude towards us, ignorant to hostile. If the apostles had been thinking in a Christian mode and had assessed their situation from the standpoint of the existing Christian institutions, they would have been overwhelmed, right? Right. So you can't do it. But they weren't discouraged instead. They were filled with joy and hope. They had great confidence in their Lord and in their message. And they knew that their task was to be used by the Holy Spirit to grow the church. And they knew that being graced means is how you grow. And and that's how they grew, right? Right. The church in an apostolic time needs to have the same confidence in the powers and goodness of the message that she bears. So that's why I'm all about signs and wonders. I'm all about proclamation demonstration because we have to be able to show the power of God to the unbelievers. You know, we just have to, to a society that's dying on the vine. The only thing that's going to work is the proclamation of the gospel. And then, Hey guys, this stuff really works. Let me pray with you about this or that or the other. Let me pray with you for physical healing. Let me pray with you to see if maybe God has a word for you that you may not have had for yourself. You know, it, it's all about equipping and encouraging the body. Exactly. In Those in positions of influence and authority need to be convinced that Christ is the answer to every human ill, the solution to every human problem, the only hope for a dying race. 
They need to be convinced of the bad news. Remember what I always say? Unless you know the bad news, the good news is no news. Right. You need to be convinced of the bad news that that humanity has sold itself into slavery to the prince of darkness. And I would recommend Father John Ricardo's new book, Rescued, on that topic, because it's very good. And and to know that we are actually uh, rescued, you know, and the nightmare of life apart from God can be transformed into eternal hope. People need to know that their obedience to the gospel is perfect freedom and that holiness needs to happiness, not boredom. And that a world without God is a desolate wasteland, not a free-for-all paradise, which is what most, most people think, right? And that new life in Christ transforms darkness into life. Why? Because we are in a spiritual battle. And the only power to um, overcome the powers, the spiritual forces of evil, comes from Jesus Christ, right? right. That's the only way we're going to do There are many hereditary Catholics currently in the church who have sentimental ties, right? Oh, those were the days, you know. But sentimentality will not sustain a way of discipleship that will challenge them at every level of their being, nor will it sustain their faith when it brings them into conflict with those around them. I think that's great words to finish this show out. Exactly. I mean, growing up, we didn't have to give a reason for why we believed. We just assumed everyone believed. That's not the case now. So now we have to be equipped Mm -hmm. to answer. Stay posted for um, some more shows that we might be offering you in the near future on this topic. But just take this to prayer, you all, those who are listening to us. Take this to prayer. Just ask the Lord, Lord, what do you have for me? How can I be an on-fire, intentional missionary disciple? And let me know you more, Lord. Let me serve you more, Lord. And especially concluding with the best prayer of all. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you for joining us. Finding someone on an online Catholic dating site shouldn't be like shopping for a blender. So why do most dating sites leave you feeling like you're shopping for a spouse? At Catholic Singles, we connect members through our unique user polls and activities, which help you discover other members and their personalities and interests. Because you're a person, not a profile picture. So stop shopping and start discerning. Trust your love story to the original Catholic dating site and use the promo code BREADBOX at checkout for 20% off at CatholicSingles.com. 